Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. We're going to dive right in this. Get ready to go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. As you're doing it, I don't know how many I have left. I, I know I'm down to limited supply, but I just released, it's brand new. I just released December and a soft launch, but a hard launch January of this year. So what, last month, right? Uh, this book, Prophetic Evangelism. I, this was the first book I wrote, but I completely rewrote this book. And Prophetic Evangelism, if I was going to witness to my precious brother right here, who obviously knows the Lord, he's got Jesus all over his countenance, but let's say he did know the Lord, and we're out there at Caribou Coffee, right? And I walk up to my brother, and let's say he doesn't know the Lord, I do, and I say, hey man, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, heaven is good, hell is hot, you want to give your life to the Lord. The... <laughs> The effectiveness of how that would land in your basic average, uh, like unbeliever, pre-believer, person that doesn't know the Lord's heart, is somewhat questionable. It's a bit ambiguous how that would land. That's approach A, but approach B. Three years ago, you were in an automobile accident. You ended up running into an RV. You ended up being in the hospital. You cried out to God on the hospital bed, God, if you get me out of this room, I'm going to serve you. The same God that heard that cry sent me here to you to remind you that God has a wonderful plan for your life. He loves you. Heaven is awesome. Hell is hot. And give your life to God. How many of you believe approach B might have a greater effect and landing place? I'm convinced that when the Bible says you can all prophesy, you got to understand something, that we are a prophetic people. And when I first got saved, it was kind of like uh, there was a Swedish lady. Come on, man. I love Norwegian. There's a Swedish lady in this small assembly. What was it? Small, it was middle-sized assembly God church that I got, uh, I got saved, and I was immediately a part of that. And about every two weeks, she would prophesy in this beautiful Swedish accent, and she would have the word of the Lord. But my mentality was, i got to wait two weeks later to she gets another word from God because I didn't realize that God could speak to all of us. And it was like, like discovery. And so I wrote a book on number one, you hearing the voice of God. But if you can hear for you, you can hear for someone else. Like I, I talked to some people time to time. God doesn't speak today. All you need is the Bible. Like, okay. Okay. Time out. Let me ask you a question. Does the devil speak today? They would have to say, yes, it's called temptation. Hold on, I'm, I'm helping you out. This is an easy fill-in, right? It's called temptation. Can the devil use someone to seduce someone else? So he can speak to you, that could cause someone else to be hindered, right? If the devil can speak to you and he can speak to you in some way that someone else could be hindered, you're making your devil more powerful than your God because you're saying God doesn't speak today and he can't speak to you to encourage someone that's been tripped up by someone else that the devil spoke to. Nonsense, right? And so uh, we got this book out there, and I've got a forward by Mario Murillo, Cindy Jacobs. We got Bill Johnson, a bunch of awesome heroes of mine and friends of mine that I believe when you read this, you are going to be used. How many of you got friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, someone you want to win to the Lord? Now, the reason why I'm taking my time doing this, I'm going to actually talk on this tonight, and, and your pastoral team asked me to speak and just touch on the themes of prophetic evangelism, but I believe that this is a green light season in the spirit. The enemy wants you to be on yellow, caution, hold, stop, or whatever. But God has given us a green light. And I'm telling you, people out there are hungry, right? We are going to have, I, I said again, I'll say it again, we're going to have a third great awakening in North America and in the nations of the world. Jesus is going to get his inheritance in the earth. There will be a billion soul harvest. People, you never, just tear up your unsavable list. Whoever you would put on that, like I'm telling you right now, whether it's Bill Moyer or it's Little Nas X, I don't know who you would put on that list, but tear that 
that thing up because Jesus is going to save folks you don't think will get saved. Come on, how many, how many of you know that was far sides of culture, Bill Moyer and Little Nas X. Come on, that just came out of my thought process right there. That's, that's, I'm not going to say it's awesome. That's, that would be arrogant to say it's awesome, but thank you. Well, anyway, got that out there. And then one last thing, the only product my wife and I have done together, this out there could be mistaken as what is that? It's a little card. No, it's not. Bam! See how I'd flip right there? That's a USB. You can slip that baby into your PC, your Mac, or, or whatever it is, your Dell, and it has 15 teachings. The only product my wife and I have done together, this is the last little commercial break, and I'm going to give this away to reward you for listening, but my wife, who's a phenomenal teacher, we do this 15 teachings on releasing the supernatural. Jesus didn't get up out of the tomb for you to live a religious life. We had religion before Jesus got up out the tomb. He got up out the tomb to deliver us from religion. And so there's 15 messages on here on how to live a supernatural life. There's few things more sad than to see a believer succumb to just natural things and natural circumstances in their life when they have supernatural resources available. The Bible says he's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, both to the natural and the supernatural. Jesus has made provision. And so we've got things on identity, things on authority. We got to talk about the anointing. We talk about the lifestyle of revivalists. I do a two-part series, which I'm just going to throw in. I love, I did this for Todd White's uh, Lifestyle Christian University. It's called Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I went to Argentina and I talked to Claudio, Claudio it sounds like I'm name dropping, I don't mean to. All right. Claudio Frazon, uh, Carlos Anacondia, and I talked to these Argentine greats. And I said, what's the secret of your revival? And they said, the secret of our revival is no revival, no secret at all. It is a rediscovery of the person of the Holy Spirit. They told me that in the 90s, I have made, that's gonna be my next book. I have made studying the person of the Holy Spirit, obviously the pursuit of Jesus, but how I many of you know, I'm not, like sometimes people get weird and try to divorce the Godhead. No, they're one, right? Jesus, when people say, man, Jesus touched me, technically Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father ever living to make intercession, but the Holy Spirit manifesting Jesus is the one called alongside. So we need to get to know him. Jesus said to his disciples, it's good for you that I go away. That would sound crazy if I'm Pete and the boys, right? No, I give up everything to follow you. But he says, then I will send you another helper. The another word in the Greek is another of the same kind. Jesus is saying, boys, as real as I've been to you, that's how real the Holy Spirit needs to be to you. If that's not the case, oh, I'm challenged that I want that. So anyway, I want to give this away. And uh, I'm going to give it to my friend Kay because I love Kay and Brad so much. If you would like this, I want to give this to you. Hey, sweetheart, how you doing? Brad's in LA right now. Oh, is he? Oh. time friends. They're amazing. Come on, give a better. Right, right. Woo! All right. Acts chapter 13. You guys doing all right? All right, point at me right now. Point at me. Say, Sean, cut loose. All right, I got permission. All right, here we go. Acts 13 and verse 1. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Let me tell you, there was diversity at that table. Y'all notice that? You had a dude that was raised up as a monarch. You had Lucius of Cyrene. You had Simon, who's called the Niger, who was from Africa. You had Barnabas, who was part of the early church. Saul of Tarsus just recently got saved. I love, this is a church, the church that there was adversity. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. 
So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue to the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now lock in on now, we're about verse 6, Acts 13. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, somebody say Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. That, that name just sounds like awesome. Sergius Paulus. Ooh. <laughs> Say it again, Mufasa. All right, Sergius Paulus. And you'd have to sing Lion King to know that line, right? An intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled, somebody say filled, with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Just a couple more verses, gang. It says, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Uh-oh. And immediately a darkness fell on him. He went about seeking someone to lead him by hand. Now finally, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, sometimes we get words mixed up. And sometimes I get it because the words kind of sound alike, like cereal and cereal. How many of you know it depends on the context? Cereal could be the contents of Captain Crunch. It could be the profile of a homicidal maniac, right? A serial killer, right? So it depends what you're saying. Other words that are kind of used interchangeably, but they're not alike, like the words typical and normal. I kind of feel like we sometimes, not the word wouldn't be juxtaposed, but we exchange, follow me, typical and normal. How many of you know there's a big difference between typical and normal? Okay, let me, let me give you an illustration. If I were to go to the doctor, I'm coughing, I'm sneezing, but I still have my sense of smell, my sense of taste, so I do not have COVID, right? I just got a basic kind of chest cold, a little bit of flare up, and the doctor does all the tests, and they go, based on this, this season that we're in right now, it's a bit of a flu season, they say to me, what you have is normal. How many of you know he or she, that medical profession, they've interchanged words and they didn't really use it accurate. We know what they're saying, but truth be told, what I have isn't normal. It's, it's not normal. It's typical of certain symptoms when people are sick. You would have it. But it's not normal compared to a healthy person, right? Because we're not going to normalize sickness. I kind of feel like sometimes what passes as normal North American Christianity is not normal. It's typical, right? But it's not normal when you compare it to the healthy book of Acts and what people walked in and the power of God manifesting, right? Powerless Christian is the ultimate oxymoron. That's like clean field dirt, dirt jumbo shrimp, like, like oxymoron, right? And I kind of feel like what we do, now here is the phrase, and you got to get ready for this. Your definition of normal determines the demonstration of Christianity you're aiming for. So if we normalize empty altars, we normalize a good TED talk instead of Jesus walk, a nice little service, pat me on the back, I feel good, I walk out, hashtag best life now, and that's the extent of my church service. We could say that's like normal, but it's not normal compared to what God would give us. Revival is God revealing what normal ought to look like. When you read the book of Acts, you begin to see what God would spill over the corridors of heaven for people that are hungry. Am I a little intense? I thought you gave me permission to go for it. Did I still have that permission? Okay. 
And I think what the enemy wants to do is he wants to, and here's what this last season is about. This last season, the enemy wants regression. He wants, wants us to regress. Now follow me. I think part of it is a substitution. We certain things we had to substitute. You guys were in this a whole lot shorter time period, duration than we were in California. We had to substitute. Instead of going to normal school, normal job, right? You, you were on Zoom. You were doing Zoom meetings and Zoom school and church on, uh, excuse me, we'll get to that, but school online, right? Instead of dinner and a movie in our area, it was like DoorDash and Netflix binge. Come on, somebody, because you couldn't go out, right? But now I think what we've done is we've substituted virtual church for vintage church. I'm going to amen myself. Come on, Sean, preach that. That's a good word right there. Oh, oh. Vintage, book of Acts, the Bible talks about a Jew that we contend for the faith handed down once and for all. And I get it. I, I think it's awesome that we're online and churches are online. I think there are more people that are going to be reached. I think we're going to be shocked at the people that have been discipled and fed and are about to literally erupt on the scene because they begin in their tough time to, to watch. But there are many people that the mentality, and again, there are people with genuine health crisis. I always want to be sensitive that they might need to be at home or in situations, there are shut-ins, there are many reasons that maybe distance. So I'm so glad we have this option. But there's some people, their mentality of church is sitting on their couch, drinking their latte and being distracted during worship that they're watching on a screen and a sermon that they kind of check out and check back in. And right now that's become their church experience. And what I'm saying is you've substituted virtual church for vintage church. God would give you a whole lot more, but we've normalized it. But what it is, is the enemy wants you to regress. Can I tell you what I feel like this last season has been a about and we'll quickly move on. I believe, and I, I, the Lord gave me this far before March 17th, 2020. The Lord says to me, and I just begin to preach it, that the Lord is going to bring a reboot to his church. Think about a reboot. Like reboot is used in two different ways, perhaps if you were to Google this term. One is used in the cinematic arena right, where they reboot a movie franchise. Come on, how many of you know they rebooted Spider-Man so many times, they got three of them in one movie right now, right? How many of you know, I remember when they rebooted Star Trek, because my grandma used to love Star Trek, and they rebooted it uh, partially because, uh, I don't know, maybe to some, right, Chris Pine might fit into that suit a little bit better than William Shatner at this point. Come on, somebody. William Shatner, bless his heart. Love that guy, right? So there's no crack on William. But why do we reboot? Listen, in modern cinematic terms, reboots, here's something I read, that they remove the non-essential elements associated with a franchise that gets in the way of an intended expression, bringing it to bear upon a modern audience. I feel like God is rebooted the church. He's removing the non-essential. Y'all still with me? He's removing the non-essential elements associated with church that are simply man-made, something that something we got accustomed to are man-made systems. Come on, somebody. Vance Havner, the revivalist, said that we don't need more sermons on file. We need more saints on fire. Come on, burning hearts. Y'all to really clap for that one, right? But the enemy wants us to regress, but God is saying, I want you to reboot. I want to strip down all this stuff that's just been flesh, uh, and God can use programs, but I see some people have elevated their program above his presence, and that's a wrong move right now. 
Some people have rituals that they've developed in this season. And I feel like the rituals become ruts. And God is saying, no, I want revival for my church. I want something more. And so reboots come from the modern cinematic term. But also reboots, come on, somebody say control, alt, delete. Control, alt, delete. A reboot, if you've got a Dell, you got a PC Windows term, is sometimes necessary, watch this, to recover from error from getting stuck, frozen, or crashed. I did my little run around right there. I didn't get my cardio in, so I'm getting it in now, right? So reboot is not only the movie that modernizes and takes out the unattended extra stuff that isn't necessary that gets in the way of the intended expression, but it's sometimes necessary to recover from error, from getting stuck, frozen, or crashed. So I feel like right now, I'm gonna, I said this when I wanna say it again. We're looking at this last season as an interruption. God says, no, it's not an interruption. An interruption, you get back to what you're doing before. It's a divine disruption. And divine disruptions become a fast track to the move of God. I believe that we're going to see the greatest move of God. I already talked about that. But let me give you this story because I think it's so important. It's funny, Kate, because back in college, I'd give my life to Christ. And it has everything to do with what we're going to break out with what happened on Saul of Tarsus' first missionary trip. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, I'd mentioned this morning. How many of you are here tonight or you were not here this morning? Lift your hand up. Okay, a good number of people. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a college campus and I met Jesus and there were some college Christian students that were part of this group called Chi Alpha and they were witnessing to me. I, I came back from a night of partying, of suicidal, I called out to Jesus. Jesus showed up in my room radically, radically, dramatically transformed. I began to witness everything and move. I share with people who are here this morning. I began to witness and I saw many, many, many people come to the Lord because God is that good, not that I was that good at witnessing. So I remember early on, my campus pastor was preaching at the church I went to, and he's preaching on a Sunday night, and he was preaching on how Peter got out of the boat. And so I thought, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to really get out of the boat. And the reason why I said it, I lived in these apartments, and I had a roommate I'd led to the Lord, and they were called Brookside Apartments, but we renamed it Crookside Apartments, because in broad daylight, people would pull up a shopping cart and rip you off, right? So Crookside Apartments, so like, like, like we weren't leaving our coats out in the middle of church like that, right? Because they would take your coat, all right? So this apartment I lived in, well, I had a room. Uh, I had a roommate, Will, but next door to us, say this is our door, and I'd say the next apartment door is this close. There was a guy there by the name of Vincent. Vincent was a little strange. Vincent was like six four, like two hundred and seventy five pounds, six five, two hundred seventy five pounds. The dude had a. He was an outpatient from the Stockton State Mental Hospital. He was on medication. The guy was just different. But I always wanted to witness to him, but the only thing is whenever I would go to witness to him, he had to be ever been around someone that they can, by their presence, discharge and emit an atmosphere that's contrary, right? Like, like there's certain people, man, you get around Pastor Nathan, man, he could come in a room, you just feel Jesus, you feel joy, right? Other people, they come in a room and they're bringing something with them that doesn't feel like Jesus or joy. In fact, there's some people, when they come in a room, they bring something, and there are other people, when they leave the room, the room gets better, okay? Hopefully, you're not that latter person. He had some stuff going on, right? And, and let's just get right down to it. The dude has some critters on him. It was like, lights are on, uh, lights are off, everybody's home. Like, if you understand what I'm saying, the dude's demonized, all right? What he had, Dr. Phil couldn't help him, Dr. Oz couldn't help him, Dr. Drew couldn't help him, only the great physician Jesus, because he needed deliverance. And so every time I would go to witness to him, he would just get this stare at me, and he's 6'5", I'm 6'1", he was 275, 
I'm like 175 now, but then I was like 160. I was a buck 60. And he could look at you and I could immediately feel like your skin would almost crawl away. And I would want to witness because I knew Jesus died for this guy. I loved I loved him in the sense that I wanted him to know Jesus. And I would go to witness and everything would just freeze. You ever have an experience like that that someone just gives off this vibe, right? That's what kids say. It's a vibe. It was a vibe on him. It was more than a vibe. And so every time I would... And, Vincent didn't really talk. He just grunted. So I said, hey, Vincent, when I'd walk by him as we're going to our apartment, ah, that was, are y'all old enough to remember Lurch off the Adams Family? Or have you seen the animated Pixar or whatever, whoever puts it out, Adams Family, Adams Family too. So I came back from this service and I go, I want to witness to this guy. And so I had it rehearsed in my head everything I was going to say. I could tell uh, at that time I didn't know he was an outpatient at Stock State Mental Hospital. I didn't know he was on medication. I didn't know all the tragedies that happened in his upbringing. I didn't know that he had P, uh, PTSD. Did I say that right? I didn't know that he had, he'd fought in a tour and there were some, just some issues. All the more that would cause my heart to move towards him. I just knew that God died for him and I wanted him to know Jesus. But I can pick up like a death suicide thing. Sometimes people have suicide on them. Let me explain where it's a crisis moment where they're going to end their life now and other people are committing suicide on the installment plan. They're entering into a lifestyle that they're slowly asking to deaden them from the pain they feel, ultimately not knowing that it will end up with the enemy ripping them off in the ultimate way. And so I come back from this meeting. I'm going to witness you. So I came back to my roommate, Will. I said, Will, hey man, we're going to go next door. We're going to witness to Vincent. I want this dude to get saved. And my roommate said, hey man, that dude is crazy. You on your own. I said, man, just pray for me, right? So I got up the nerve. So I go and I knock on his door. So I knock on his door, opens the door. You rang. No, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. He opens the door and there is Vincent. Now, he's standing there, he just looks at me like that's awkward, right? Awkward, 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 awkward. He just glares at me as if he's just releasing some sort of death ray, man. I expect him to snap like Thanos or something, man. I mean, he is just staring at me. And I said, hey, hey, Vincent, hey, man, hey, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Like, can I come in for a second? And the moment he opened the door, let me say this. Some smell of some banned substance he was smoking was wafting out of his apartment. I'm like, uh-oh. And I grew up in inner city Oakland right in the back of the 57 bus. I smell weed. Whatever this dude is smoking, I ain't even heard of or smelt before. So that was kind of scary. And so he went, he's at the door and he's just cracking it. I said, can I talk? And he went, ah, and he opened the door. And so I walked in the door and he closes the door behind me and he stands there and I said, hey, Vincent. And so I'm wanting to witness to the dude and I could feel all of a sudden, like when this kind of anti-spirit kind of thing comes on you, you feel like you lose your words, you lose, you feel rushed, you feel a bit nervous. I could feel there was some demonic resistance. Now let me say this to you as it relates to evangelism in general, let alone prophetic evangelism. You ever witness to people and you wonder why they don't get it? Like, why don't you get, why wouldn't you give your life to Christ? Dude, he's the most awesome, fascinating, incredible individual ever, anyone could ever live. Da, Jesus is not out to take away your fun. He's out to take away your pain. Big difference, right? Jesus, why are you running? Like, because when he catches you, all he's going to do is love you. I mean, I'm just thinking about all these things. God is awesome, right? And, and what is the alternative? Living life without Jesus. And so I'm thinking about all these things, but all of a sudden, all I can think about is everything in this room feels foreign to me. It's like you could feel chills, heebie-jeebies, we used to call back in the day. And so I said, hey, Vincent, uh, uh, here's what I came to talk about. And he goes, ah, puts his hand up and he walks in his room. We lived in these essentially like three rooms. There was no, actually, yeah, three rooms. There was a kitchen, living room, dining room, all just one little tiny room, your bedroom, and then a little bathroom off of it. So he had the same apartment we had. So he's going in his room 
And so I'm just standing there and I'm smelling this unknown bad substance and I look over on the wall and on the wall, there's a picture of a skeleton with a snake coming out of his mouth. But it wasn't an artist's rendition. It was an actual picture of a skeleton with a snake come out of his mouth. Come on, I, I know people that you may have some, uh, you know, different paintings, some Thomas Kincaid, some other like art, but who puts a picture of a dead skeleton face and the devil immediately spoke to me and said, that's the last dude who tried to witness to Vincent. Your picture is going to be up next to it. I look over in the kitchen and I kind of took a step and literally when I said kitchen, man, I'm from here to there to the kitchen. He has a machete with what looks like coagulated blood on there and the devil saying, confirmation, that's the blood of the last evangelist that came over here. Your blood is going to be on the next. And all of a sudden, I started getting a little freaked out. I'm smelling stuff. I'm feeling like, it feels like Ghostbuster spirits rushing past me. So I'm going to go talk to Vincent and say, hey, maybe I need to pray up and come back at another time. And I walk in his room and he's talking to somebody, but the only problem is no one's there. Well, we would know now, okay, I'm looking for your AirPods. You got a Bluetooth on. But back in the day, if you had a Bluetooth, your dentist was trying to pull it out okay so this is this is <laughs> that was a joke y'all <laughs> we didn't have no bluetooth so he's talking to somebody who's not there and i don't need to look right and if he had a cell phone it'd have been so big it took a construction <laughs> foreman to lift that thing because the cell phones were this big he's talking to a war hero friend of his that died in his arms and so in that moment, when I came in the room, the enemy had just so, as he's releasing what felt like this demonic front and resistance against me, at the same time, when I walked in the room from his perspective, he would later talk to me, he felt something come in the room that he was intimidated by, goes in the room and he goes and talks to his dead friend. And so he's talking to that, and so I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe I'll come back later. And, and all of a sudden in that moment, I go, no, man, Jesus, you love this guy. I may not ever get this opportunity again. I said, hey, Vincent, you can talk to that guy later. He'll be there. I hope he won't be there. Never mind. Come on, come with me. And I grab him by the hand. I pull him. Now he's this big, huge behemoth dude. Uh, and he comes into the room. And I said, Vincent, let me tell you something. Man, I tell you, man, I wanted to kill myself. There was a spirit of suicide on me. But man, Jesus is so good. And he just sent me over to tell you that he loves you, man. And he wants to change your life and set you free. And so I'm, I'm looking at him and he's, he's kind of listening. He didn't grunt or nothing. So I think I got his attention. And I said, come on, let's pray. Now, I've learned a couple things. If you're praying with someone in the streets or you're praying with someone that you think that there may be some demonic interference, little hint, this in dramatic literature, this is called foreshadowing. Keep your eyes open. All right, just say it, all right? I close my eyes and I grab his hands and I said, pray this prayer with me. And I said, hey, and I'm, so I'm going to this prayer. I just come to you, Father God. And he was, and I'm saying, okay, that's close enough. And so we just get around and I say something. You know, and so then I get to the point where I say, now say Jesus is Lord. Well, I'm a baby believer. I'm not even a year old in the Lord. I didn't read that passage in the Bible that says you can only say Jesus is Lord and come in the flesh by the Spirit of God. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. It's come in the flesh. Resurrected. The Spirit of God is required for you to have the freedom to say that. Well, I didn't know at the time. So right now, my eyes are closed. Okay, picture me. Come on, you're at 1515 Rosemary Lane, apartment number 23, and you're grabbing hands, and you don't. I knew the dude had some issues. I didn't know what was about to happen. So I'm holding his hands, and I say, get to the point where Jesus is the Lord. And he goes, he tries to say, Jesus, he goes, 
And then I open my eyes, right? When I open my eyes, okay, now anyone young, in a, uh, children, anything like that, there's enough anointing and power on the name of Jesus. You just mention that name. So hear the rest of the story. You don't have to be afraid. You just say Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. Every knee will bow at that name. Every tongue will confess. I don't care how strong, how big, how bad, how long-standing a principality, a power, a demon is. You mention that name. Even a baby, little kid believer just prayed into the kingdom by their mama and dad can call on that name and have enough authority on the new birth and the name of Jesus to cast out devil. Oh! Oh! Man, y'all get me too fired up. So I'm grabbing his hands and I open my eyes just in time and literally, I don't know if you would have saw this, my perspective, the dude's face is contorting right in front of my eyes like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. I made a mistake years ago of seeing the exorcist. This is freaking me out. I'm thinking he's going to spit up, split pea soup on the wall. His head going to roll around. Like, I don't know. And he's and I'm like, He's holding my hand so tight, what I wanted to do was run. And when I couldn't run, I at least wanted to get one hand, Luke, because we share a mutual wall. I wanted to knock on the wall Morse code to my roommate and call 911, call 911. I don't even know Morse code, but I'm like, hey, call. I'm like, help, right? This dude is like gone, like I don't even know what to say he's gone. He's, he is gone like grizzly bear, like ferocious. And in that moment, his, his eyes are controlling everything. And I recognize in that moment, he's squeezing my hands. And I realized in that moment, why did God send me over here? Did he send me over here to run out screaming with a yellow streak traveling up my back with a wet chihuahua sound coming out of my larynx? Or did he send me into this? Because listen to me, when Jesus says go, he's anointed you with everything necessary to come back successful in the mission. Uh, uh, oh my God, I think the speaker's cut out. The, the, you didn't hear it. Let me say it again. When the Bible tells you to go, furnish with that command is all the grace and anointing necessary to be successful in the mission. No matter what would come up in the midst of it, all it means is you're going to see miracles. Isn't that funny how people want to see miracles, but they never want to put themselves in a position where a miracle is the only way out. We want miracles as a luxury. No, miracles come as a necessity. It's not like Hebrews chapter 11, Moses was sitting in a hot tub and the hot tub got too hot. Ah, hot tub too hot. And he lifts up the rod, the rod and the hot tub parts and he gets his emerald smoking jacket and walks across. No, no, no. Man, you had Pharaoh breathing down his back. Hebrews 11, the Kenton, Ohio scripture is there because it was often life or death, right? And I believe a church is going to be introduced to miracles because of the exact season that we're believing we're emerging out of. The crisis has brought about the dependency that God, we can't do it in our own strength. All this was right here was a lesson, life lesson to Sean, that what you're entering in is spiritual, primarily. It isn't just sharing a couple thoughts and a couple questions. And let me say this, people that don't know the Lord, the Bible says if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. I often will wonder when I witness, why don't they get it? Follow me. They don't get it because they can't get it. Let me explain it. You're looking at me funny. The Bible, the epistle said, our gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The word they're veiled is kalupsis. You know what the opposite of kalupsis is? Apocalypsis in the Greek. Apocalypsis means revelation. So it takes a revelation of Jesus to unveil. I could tell you about L. Ron Hubbard and you could become a Scientologist. I, I know this is not PC, but I'm just going to say, I could tell you about Buddha. You become a Buddhist. But it's not enough for me to tell you about Jesus. You got to have your own encounter. I can introduce you to him, but Jesus wants to show up. And you look at somebody to save and you're 
look at them scratching your head or someone that's a follower of Christ. Why do you make the sacrifice? Why do you do all that? Well, the only reason why you're any different than them is they've met someone and have had an experience that solidified this incredible life change and the freedom they experience. And I submit to you, you had that experience. You may be more radical than us. Smile break. Everybody smile with her brother. So here I am. How many of you want to know the rest of the story? He's got my hand squeezed so much. I don't even have fingers. I got a unifinger at this point. Right? He squeezed, and he's squeezing as I speak. It's getting tighter and tighter. And all of a sudden, I remembered why I came there. I came there because I was sent. I came there because I'm, I'm here to rescue. I'm a freedom fighter. And so all of a sudden, I just began to pray in the Holy Ghost. As I prayed in the Holy Ghost, I pulled my hand out. Some about praying in the Holy Ghost, you can get your hands back. Okay, I don't know. That's, I'm not going to teach that as a theological truth, but I did, right? Prayed in the Holy Ghost, I pulled my hand back, and I put my hand on top of his. I was a little scared, so it kind of hit him a little harder than I thought, okay? Part of it was anointing, part of it was adrenaline. Pop! I hit him on the head. I said, I break that power in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, his eyes were doing all this. They went, boom, and they stopped and looked right at me. And he says to me in the clearest English I've ever heard Vincent speak, what just happened? And I'm like, you can talk. Okay, that's super cool. I was expecting the dude to continually say, I am Groot, you know, like, like he couldn't talk right, right? And I said, I don't know, but let's pray before he comes back. I mean, you know, whatever it was holding. So we grabbed the hands, finished the prayer. He got saved. Okay, y'all not ready. He got delivered, okay? He got a release. He got a release from Stockton State Mental Hospital. They no longer had him on medication. He got a job. Come on, he got a girl. Come on, somebody. He got a Bible. We got him a big Bible. Back day, the bigger your Bible, the more spiritual you were, right? Put your name on it, put a cross, put a dove, put a Bible, folding hands, praying hands. You know, you just put it all on there. This guy's testimony went all across our, I think it was probably, I don't know, maybe 200 apartments. It's a big apartment right across the street from the University of Pacific. All these people, I started a Bible study specifically in my apartment complex because all these people were asking about Vincent. And here's Vincent, his right mind, sharing his testimony. How he was a kid, he was a all this stuff happened. He had a demonic encounter. He started kind of following in a weird way, kind of what we would kind of call kind of a witchcraft, wicked thing. And then the battle, the wars overseas, the drugs, everything he did. And in one fell sweep, God delivers this guy. He gets a car. Forgot to tell you that. Dude got a car. And all of a sudden, he started sharing with people what did. All these people started getting saved. We had revival break out in our apartment complex because Vincent was telling them, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, somebody. Why did I share with you that story? Because here's the key. You got to accept heaven's assignments. If you don't accept heaven's assignments, there's an adventure in the spirit you're missing out on. You don't know the anointing on your life until you get in a battle. I'll prove it to you. Nobody gave me an amen but one person, but I'm going to prove it to you. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, the same chapter that says, women receive back their debt, put foreign armies to flight, but same thing, escape the edge of the sword by faith, by faith, by faith, and it goes on to say, and they became mighty in battle. Watch this. Everybody look at me. As if to imply you don't know the might you have until you get in a battle because the battle activates your might. So many, you know, Christians that run from challenges and battles, you know what they're like? They're like bodybuilders that avoid weights, 
right? A bodybuilder that avoid weights, you know what it's called? It's called no definition. You can't get definition without the weights. The resistance, I pay, I still pay 24-hour fitness in California, although it's been a minute since I've been there because one of the clubs I go to is in a place where I have to have a vaccination to go, but there is another club I can't go to in another county, so you know I do a lot of work at home. TMI, I know, TMI. Why do I pay 24-hour fitness? Because I pay them for resistance because intuitively I know the resistance of the bar, the resistance on the elliptical preaker, the resistance will translate into muscles and strength. Let me tell you what, believers that run from a challenge are running from what defines them as an overcomer. You can't overcome unless something comes at you. Y'all are awesome. Now notice this, I wanna hit a couple quick things and then I wanna to move towards the close. Notice this, they're all sitting at the table and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Notice this, the first thing I wanna bring out is the Holy Spirit is setting the agenda. Holy Spirit is setting the agenda. And look at this, Holy Spirit speaks, everybody hears it, follow me. The Holy Spirit is as real as anyone is at that table. Let me ask you, is the voice of the Holy Spirit at your table and is he as real as anyone else speaking in your life right now? Come on, whoever can keep you from the Bible, I've got it right now on my iPad, or else, like, whoever can keep you from the Word of God can keep you from your destiny. Isn't that something? You know, you know, it, it, it's such a funny thing that people just nowadays, instead of the Bible, they're talking, well, I just feel, well, I feel, I'm of the opinion, and all this kind of stuff, and, and let me just lovingly tell you, I'm going to drop on one knee and lovingly tell you, the truth isn't found in your opinions. Truth isn't found in your feelings. Come on, your feelings can change 25 times in the next 20 minutes. Get off that roller coaster. Let me tell you what, right now, I had a person, I was talking about Jesus and the gospel, and he says, well, I Googled last night something, something as, as to a argument to refute the reality of Jesus. And I say, you're going to base your life on what you Googled last night? I got a grandma that was delivered off 25 years plus alcoholism by coming to Jesus and walked in the power of the Spirit and prophesied over me the things I did before I was even saved. And I said, I'm going to base my life on the Jesus that set my grandmama free from alcohol rather than what you Googled last night. Come on, somebody. Is the Holy, my question, oh, oh, I'm asking you, is the Holy Spirit real at your table? I feel like there are a lot of voices right now. There are voices of distortion, voices of distraction, and then there's a voice of your destiny. What voice are you tied into? What is the inner narrative? I'm, I'm a this, I'm that. I'm, see, here's what the enemy will do. The enemy, if you allow him, he'll make you a victim. He'll give you a victim mentality, and then after you accept a victim mentality, he continues to victimize you. Some point along the line, you got to go, no, devil. I'm not here to be your punching bag. I'm not here for you to kick me around. You come at me, I pray more. You come at my family, I fast more. You come at my finances, I tithe more. But anyway you come at me, I'm coming right back at you. I got some folks nodding their head in this section. I'm preaching to y'all right now. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All of y'all are amazing. The Holy Spirit, and let me just say, depending on what table you sit at, determines the voices stronger in your life. The wrong table leads to the wrong voice and sends you on a wrong path. Here is what I believe what happens is so often the Holy Spirit is setting the agenda. So often we set the agenda and ask God and invite God to bless it. But when that happens, we settle for less. Instead of a reboot, we get a regress. 
Holy Spirit says, set apart from me, Saul, uh, Saul, Barnabas, and Saul. Let me tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is putting a distinction on the body of Christ. You're being set apart right now. You're, you're not victimized or subject to the same things that a person out there that doesn't know the Lord. Yeah, we got laws, there's registrations, there's restrictions, you got to pay taxes, all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you, in the Spirit, the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places. Like we have a joy that we don't need some sort of smoke, some sort of pill, some sort of hypodermic syringe injection. We got a joy that doesn't just survive the storm, it thrives in storms because it's a joy unspeakable. Come on somebody, Jesus gives you joy. And I think what happens is that we settle because the Holy Spirit hasn't set the agenda. When the Holy Spirit hasn't set the agenda in your life, then your life goes awry. You go down paths to find dead ends. You find yourself, and here is the situation with America today, you find yourself confused. And part of the confusion is, let me ask you, has the Holy Spirit set the agenda in your life? What voice are you listening to? What voice is prevailing in your head right now because it's leading you down a path? They had the Holy Spirit so alive, so alive and vibrant and real that the Bible says, we read it, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. I believe in modern church, not, not, not here, definitely not at burning hearts, and maybe not in a lot of the churches in the city, but there are churches across America where people can come on a Sunday morning, right? They come in, they can raise their hands, they can sometimes clap, sometimes we have altar calls, sometimes we have modern songs, but we've strayed from the ancient paths. We've not allowed the Holy Spirit to set the agenda of the house, right? And, and Jesus didn't guy off the cross, now you gotta, you're gonna have to hear the distinction in what I'm saying, right? We're after successful church. God is after victorious church. We want all the accruedments to look like we're successful. And Jesus saying, no, nah, I'm not necessarily after, he's a good God. Now don't misinterpret that. But in his goodness, he's saying, don't settle for successful when you can have victorious. God is trying to bring victorious. In order to do that, you got to invite the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you need to, before your quiet time, you need to say, Holy Spirit, come and let's, let's, let's talk. Let's commune. Paul closed the, closes a letter to the church at and say, may the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I think if I were to grade that, the love of the Father, I say the North American church, we're growing a little bit, but then we went through COVID and we got nasty on each other and got nasty on people that voted different than us. So I say we get a C plus, B minus. Love of the Father. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're picking up in grace, although we got some sloppy grace. Grace isn't a license to sin. It's an excuse to sin. In fact, the Bible says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. So it's not you're drinking hard drink, you're getting drunk, smoking uh, stogies and cursing at folks, talking about the grace of God. No, no, that's not the grace of God. That's called licentiousness. You need to be set free. I'm going to amen myself. I mean, I get a lot of shouts on it. Come on, that is an undiluted gospel you're preaching. So I'll keep going with that. So I would say on grace... Maybe the B minus C plus. But then the third component, may the communion of the Holy Ghost. The word there means intimacy, it means fellowship, it means partnership. And I'd say the North American church, if I could be honest, and I'm part of the, I think we get a D, D plus. Maybe your church gets a different grade. I'm talking about in general, the North American church, but can I say something? I believe this past crisis is bringing change to all of that. Now, how many of you would give me, let me see what I need. How many of you give, you give me 12 minutes to finish this up? All right, one, two, three, four, five. Five times 12, 60, I got an hour. Okay, let's go, let's go. Saul is at a table, he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. 
for the work I've told. And then they're sent to this place called Pathos. But before I go, go there, let me tell you, Acts 13, scholars would tell you, this is the hinge in history. This is the point where before the gospel is being preached to Jerusalem, Judea, and now it's about to go, third act, to the ends of the earth, the uttermost part of the, the globe. And so now they're going to be sent out in a Gentile missions trip. What should your first missions trip look like? All right, I remember my daughter, Brittany, she now uh, is in, uh, lives on her own, but in, incredible. She's part of the, works at the record music label and production and the traveling of Jesus culture, the musical arm of them. And so I remember when she was sixth grade, uh, the youth group went on a mission trip and they took her to Rancho de Su Niños in Mexico, awesome. And so I was a little, I'm like, man, she's sixth grade and she was the youngest, her and uh, our pastor's daughter were the only sixth grade. Everybody else was eighth grade or above, but I had a friend going and say, I'll look out for her. I'll make sure she's okay. And I went, oh, I prayed and it felt like, okay, let her go, let her go, let her go. And so on her first missions trip, they helped out in orphanages. They handed gum, Chick-fil-A, little kids would go, Chick-fil-A, they were so used to them bringing them gum. They would hand gum out. They would do puppets. You know, they would do ministry to the kids in the streets, and then they would feed them. And it was an awesome time, and they helped uh, kind of in the area of a church. That's your first missions trip. How many of you know that your first missions trip ought to be something where you can ease into? That's what we think. Let me tell you what Paphos is. Okay, now remember, this is Saul of Tarsus' first missus trip. Now, listen to me. Paphos, the, the name of Paphos means burning hot. Okay? It was a hot spot of demonic activity. Let me, the, the quickest and best way I could tell you, by ba basis of research, Paphos, this island of Patmos, this place, if you could take the out of control, gambling, anything could be bought or sold. If you could merge Las Vegas, Nevada, and Atlantic City and put them together. And then they had this sexual perversion. And again, I'm not trying to lock these places because I live in one of these places. If you could take Amsterdam and take San Francisco, put them together and drop it here. And then if you could get like the <laughs> Bermuda Triangle, right? And go to like, like Sedona, Arizona and that whole new age and the worship of false stuff. If you could put them cities together, put all those six cities together, you'd have Paphos. How many of you know, that's crazy to make that somebody's first mission trip, right? How many of you know Solar Tarsus and Bonners, they're not out there with puppets and chicle, chicle, chicle. <laughs> Here's what I submit to you. What is it that God knows about you and heaven knows about you that you don't know about you. That, listen to me, that causes us to stick to safe places. I know in this whole COVID thing, we started to look for what's safe place. We wanted to find safe place. But I'm telling you what, the kingdom is diametrically opposite to that. It isn't about finding safe places. It's about, it's about finding designated places that the Holy Spirit is sending us to. I'm not trying to be safe. I'm trying to be obedient. Oh, I'm with the right group right here. I'm with the right group. So all of a sudden they go, and as they go to this place, right, somehow, some way, and this is what happens when you go. Jesus said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He's speaking of evangelism. He's speaking of going to the world. Now stop, okay? Uh, I know that hopefully they got, got me out there. All right. If we were to have a pen right here, a pen, and we were to put a bunch of wolves in there, ravenous, mangy-looking, hungry, howling wolves, and we drop a sheep in there, Right? How many of you know the sheep isn't coming out of the octagon making the wolves tap out? How many of you understand that? When Jesus said, I send you a sheep miss of wolves, I would have been Peter and I go, wait, 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 Jesus. Don't you mean you sent us out as wolves in the midst of sheep? Aren't we supposed to get the better end of this thing? And what the Lord is saying, 
If you read on in that passage, behold, I've sent you out of sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't worry beforehand what you will say. It'll be given to you in that moment what to say. Follow me. The secret to prophetic evangelism is wolves. What do wolves represent? Seeing out the wolves in the midst of, 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 of uh, lamb in the midst of wolves. What do wolves represent? Follow me. Loosely, let me tell you, it's a metaphor for marketplace resistance. God is saying if you're willing to put yourself in what seems like a vulnerable position in marketplace resistance, I will give you prophetic. I will give you signs and wonders. I will give you power. Because this power, this light shows up best in darkness. Amen. You guys are with me. Yeah. Say that about I seen y'all sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't worry beforehand what you'll say. You'll stand in front of uh, kings and counselors and whatever. But I will give you words to speak and it will be a testimony to them. God is saying, I'm going to testify and bring attestations of who I am if I could just get you to go. And meanwhile, can you imagine a bunch of sheep that all they want to do is stay around the sheep? Yeah. Eat with the sheep. Pet the sheep, prophesy over the sheep. Sheep fall down in the power. We pick them up, put a little apron over them so nobody see, right? And then get them back up and sing with sheep and go visit our sheep and hang out in sheep houses. That's cool, but remember, Jesus said, I see you all the sheep in the midst of wolves. Some point, you got to be sent. All right, I'm in my last five minutes, so I got to make this key. All of a sudden, because he goes, you know, that verse says, I'll send you in front of rulers. He's prophesying. Here it is. Apostle Paul gets audience with the Roman appointed proconsul of all Epaphos. How do you get that kind of appointment? Right? That would be like me. I'm, I'm going to go back to an old governor because it wouldn't be fair to highlight my governor right now. Maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know. How, how many of y'all remember when we had Arnold Schwarzenegger as our governor? That'd be like me getting saved. He's still solar Tarsus, right? Me getting saved and all of a sudden, the Lord says, I want you to go to Sacramento and man, I'm going to use you and I go to Sacramento. All of a sudden, Arnold Schwarzenegger is bringing me into the man, the, the governor of California right at that time. But imagine if his right-hand aide was Anton LaVey. You don't know that name. That's probably good. He was the founder of the first church of Satan and wrote the satanic Bible, Necromonitan, Book of the Dead. You imagine, I got a meeting with Governor Schwarzenegger and he got Anton LaVey there and God entrusts me on my first missions trip to speak to a governor with a demonized dude, man, running interference. And the Bible says that this guy named Elimus, he says he resisted us. How many, okay, y'all y'all looking at me like y'all didn't get that. Come on, y'all, y'all giving me, come on, the West Fargo look. Okay, come on, here we go. It says here, look at this. Go down to uh, Acts 13. And it says, in, I'm just teasing you. It says in verse seven, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Uh, and it says, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. Now verse, I think, what is it here? Eight. It says, but Elimus the sorcerer withstood them. The word withstood them is a Greek word. And come on, give me a little more time. Antihistamai. It's so where we get the word antihistamines, right? If all of a sudden you're sneezing and you got a little allergenic reaction and you take Sudafed, I think that's what it is. It's an antihistamine and it kind of keeps your nose from running and all that kind of stuff. It blocks. The word there, antihistamine, literally means that is Saul is witnessing to the Roman appointed governor, Sergius Paulus. This guy is running demonic interference. You got to understand if you're going to witness and be successful out there, you got to be spirit filled. I'm going to say it again. You got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. 
You got a ward out there, a ward out there filled with devils needs a church filled with the Holy Ghost. An addicted culture needs somebody that got some anointing on them. Somebody out there that literally, we need a church that knows how to anoint with oil, knows how to cast out devils, knows how to walk in healing the sick. We need a church that's going all out for Jesus. We don't need to have muted tone Christianity because we're trying to not be offensive. No, no, no. We're in a battle for souls. We got to go for everything that God has for me. Everything that God has for the church. We got to go for it. You got one life, but blink of the eye, this thing is over. Our life is a drop in a bucket and we stand in eternity. The only what you do for Christ will last. I know I'm a little intense right now. Come on, I know, I know, okay. So the word there, resist. It's used in 2 Timothy, I believe it's chapter three. It says in the last days, and it begins to describe that perilous times will come. Hello, the word there is chalepos, and it means fierce, it means dangerous, but you ready for this? It means demonized. The word is only used one other time, according to Jack Hayford did this. It's only used one other time in the Greek New Testament. It's used to describe the demon-possessed men. There was one passage where it says two of them, and it says they were exceedingly fierce. The word they're fierce, and the word that describes that they're in the last days, perilous times, perilous and pierce. It's to describe the last days are almost going to be demonized, but what does he go on to say? He goes on to say there'll be men, there'll be lovers of themselves. Come on, some of y'all single ladies went out with that dude, okay? You know what I'm talking about. You went swipe back in the other direction, got off that app. All right. It says men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, love of God, unforgiving, irreconcilable, unloving, on and on. But then it goes down, I believe, verse 8, for the sake of time, I'll just tell you about it. It says, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so would these resist the truth. Speaking of our day, the word there, resist, is antihistamine. The same word that says how this demonized dude resists Saul preaching the gospel is the same word that Paul is writing in a letter to, please say you're getting this, Paul writes to a letter to Timothy and says in the last days is Janus and Jambres. Who's Janus and Jambres? They were the Egyptian magicians in Pharaoh's court. How did they resist Moses? Did they sign petitions? Did they put an argument, a smear campaign up on YouTube? They supernaturally resisted him. But it goes on to say, but as they continue to do so, their folly will be exposed to all. But it, here's the thing. You have to outlast the opposition. Oh, there's so much I can say about that, but now I need Chris, get ready to come up. All right, so the Bible says this phrase, and we're almost getting ready to pray for folks. It says, and Saul, filled with the Holy Spirit, but it flips it around. Okay, no, no, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't just, I'm not gonna do justice to it. Okay, go back up to Acts 13, and in verse eight, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, said, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you're enemy of all unrighteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? All of a sudden, he goes from Saul to Apostle Paul. And there's only two distinctions, right? Number one, it says he's filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe when the Holy Ghost comes on you, you get changed into another, another man. Like you're not the same. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh my God. Whole, whole another message. I know you church, you guys, I'm sure you get an A in that. But let me tell you the other thing that brought about the change. Oh my God, help me preach this. All right, we're, we're, we're there. I believe that part of what shifted Saul to Paul was the battle that he was facing because it's in the midst of the battle that Luke that wrote the book of Acts tells you that he's Apostle Paul. It's in the battle. So what am I saying? Look this way. I believe that some of us are experiencing status-changing battles. The battle of this last season 
was not to demote you, but to promote you. I believe that the battles you're experiencing individually in your life, in your family, perhaps in your immediate family, in your relationships, in your business, what you're experiencing out as you're standing for God, I believe that they're status-changing battles for the church. I believe on the national level, the battles that have been taking place, and I'm not even political, I'm being biblical here, but there are battles over the church right now, and people are coming after the church and at the, the, the veracity of Scripture and at the standard of God's Word, but in a good way, God wants them to be status changing battles that in that you go from your Saul to Apostle Paul in a battle if it wasn't for a battle you don't get that promotion we look at battles like oh my god I don't need another battle I don't know I don't want a battle no 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 you run from a battle you run from your promotion they say in military, there were certain times where there would be what's called battlefield promotions, that in this moment, okay, now you're the general, okay, you're the corporal, okay, you're the sergeant, you're the, I'm probably messing up the ranks there, but you, everyone's getting a promotion because the battle broke out in this area. We got to commission new people, and I feel like in this battle, God is raising up, but the other key, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's our close. Come on, Chris, you're hitting keys right now, brother, in the spirit. <laughs> The Bible says that in that moment, this is prophetic evangelism like we don't know yet. And I feel like the next evolution, prophetic evangelism is hearing from God and possessing his heart and his mind in a way that helps connect people to Jesus. But I believe the next evolution of evangelism, watch this, is going to be atmospheric. In revivals, let's say in the great Welsh revival, when the power of God hit Moriah Chapel, I've been there, man. I've been at Moriah Chapel. I've preached in Wales. And man, I was like tearing up, like, oh my God, Evan Roberts and the great Welsh revival. It was so profound. It impacted an intercessor uh, that was around Azusa Street. And many of us know William J. Seymour, the one-eyed son of a sharecropper, African-American man. But there was a guy by the name of Frank Bartleman, who was an intercessor. He was in connection, correspondence, like you couldn't email, right? They were writing letters back and forth, and he was being discipled by Evan Roberts, the young leader of the great Welsh revival. And so their revival really impacted what we believe in, what we walk in today. What they said is that night that the sonic boom of revival broke out over the chapel, they said that across town there was a club. Like, I don't know if they, can you do the Dougie? And I don't know what they was doing over at that club, right? Right? They said of all these young people that had the dance club, the power of God, and some people in a, in a field, it says it, it was like they heard thunder. That immediately, kind of, can you come on, you at a club, DJ's mixing it up, y'all like, yeah, you groove, whatever, and all of a sudden a thunderbolt happens, and the Bible says everyone in the club came under conviction, walked out of that dance club, walked down the street downtown, walked, there wasn't no Uber, come on somebody, they're walking towards Moriah Chapel, and he said many of them couldn't even get there before they fell on their face on the ground, literally trying to get. They said they went outside, hundreds of young people were prostrate, and they were crying out, having visions of God and angels, and gave their life to the Lord. And what happens? Who witnessed them? It was atmospheric. In revival, it's in the atmosphere. People don't know why they'll drive past the church and all of a sudden, man, I got to get the burning heart. I don't know why I need to watch this Christian television program. I don't know why, but I need to cry out to Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's where this thing's headed. But in order to do it, we need someone that's willing to go to the Paphos. Because what happened in that room? The Bible says Apostle Paul had already been witnessing, come on, to Sergius Paulus, the Roman appointed governor. But because there was interference, he didn't get it. 
And then Apostle Paul spoke. This, this is prophetic evangelism like we don't want to talk about yet. He spoke over Elimus, the demonized dude, and the Bible says he went blind for a season. Even that's the grace of God. Didn't went permanently blind. He went blind. Why? Because the very thing he trafficked in was what he was judged by. He was bringing a blinding effect to keep this governor in the palm of his hand. Come on, somebody. It's like Jafar over like Princess Jasmine's dad. I don't know if you ever watched. Come on now. Oh, now somebody said, oh, I get it now. Light bulb went on. All right, I'm with you. You're with me, right? He had to break that little scepter thing, whatever it was. And in that moment, he was bringing a blinding mist. And so I believe that there's a spirit of alignment that's trying to keep a generation blinded. But we need some folks that will go to Paphos. We need some people that will witness to your server and love on the people that are helping you at, the, at your favorite coffee shop and at your job. We're, we're, we don't, we, we're not peddling some sort of used carpet cleaner stuff, right? We're telling people, man, you can meet Jesus and you can experience freedom and joy. You don't have to have sleepless nights and need that medication to get to sleep at night, need that other upper to get you up in the morning. Like, you know those you'll sleep at night and Red Bull yourself up in the morning. You don't have to do that. Jesus can give you what is called peace. And Billy Graham was so right. He says, the nations of the world and specifically North America's greatest need is rest. How much more now is Billy Graham right as we're still trying to extricate ourselves from the midst of this COVID, COVID crisis? We need rest. Where does real rest come from? It doesn't come from a pill. Real rest didn't come because everything is perfect. Because number one, everything in your life being perfect, I don't know if I've ever had everything in my life perfect. Jesus even said, in this life you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I'll overcome the world. But guess what? God can give me a peace where I can still sleep in my storms. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.